So welcome back, everybody. And here we are already at episode four. Hello, Father. Good day to you, uh, Christine, my good friend and co-presenter. How are you doing? I am good. I am great. Great. Okay, well, we're going to be going into audience three and four today. I'm just going to show the text again, just for anyone who's just catching up. This is the text that we're going through, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. It's the compilation of the Catechesis of John Paul II. And we're on Catechesis 3 and 4 today. So do get a copy so that you can read along and join in with us. Um, and we do think they're still available on the Vatican website if you don't want to buy that text. We think you can still access the general audiences, the catechesis on the Vatican website. Um, but before we start today, Father, would you like to lead us in a prayer? Yes, surely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we praise you, and we bless you. We thank you for the gift of the Catholic faith. We thank you for the gift of John Paul II and his uh, culture of life that he has presented to us through his teaching, through the theology of the body. We pray for all the members on this network, all our listeners, all their families, that they may be drawn into a deep union, a uh, deep spousal union with the Trinity and find uh, healing and consolation and communion. We ask for the intercession of Mary, our Blessed Mother, of Saint Joseph, our beloved patron, and of Saint John Paul the Great. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father and Son of Spirit. Amen. So as we said before, Christine, you know the the like and subscribe. Always do the like and subscribe. You know it's going to sound like a broken record here, but you know that does help. So please do fire away. Yeah, well remembered, Father. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start off today with just a brief recap because in our last session we were looking at general audience one and two and today as i say we're going to move on to three and four but it's worth just recapping on where we left off with um, our last session so i'm going to begin by reading out this passage from matthew which is where john paul ii starts his theology of the body text Um, it starts with um, when the pharisees were quizzing jesus about the notion of divorce Um, the passage from matthew goes like this it says Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus responded, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And the Pharisees pushed him a bit further and they then said, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus then replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. So as we said last week, what um, Jesus is doing in that passage is he's directing the Pharisees very firmly 
on two occasions, he says this word beginning. So he repeats this notion of beginning. And what he's meaning is to tell them to go back to the ancient texts, to go back to Genesis, where they would rediscover God's plan for man, woman, marriage, um, and the male-female relationship and the teaching on divorce. And this then is precisely what John Paul II does in Theology of the Body. He does what Jesus instructs the Pharisees. He goes to Genesis 1 and he begins at the very beginning. And so taking those words of Christ, he embarks on this penetrating analysis of Genesis 1, which he says is theological in character. And what does he mean by that? Well, it's because in Genesis 1, the creation of man and woman, we hear the words um, that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So John Paul II says that this Genesis 1 creation story is theological in character because mankind's creation is described as being in the image and likeness of God himself. And what's of critical importance here is not only that we're made in the image and likeness of God, but that only mankind is described as being made in the image and likeness of God. So the rhinos, the elephants, the snakes, the giraffes are all gorgeous and majestic creatures, but they are not described as being made in the image and likeness of God. So mankind is completely set apart. And what this tells us, John Paul II says, is that in that case, the anthropology, the understanding of the human person cannot be reduced to mere matter, to mere categories taken from the world. That in order to understand the human person, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, we can learn things from science, from cells, from atoms, molecules, biology, physiology, but none of that will give us the total picture of the human person. None of that will give us the firm foundation of the human person. It will only ever give us part of the story because whilst we are of the world, we are not completely of the world. We are theological, we are of God, made in his image and likeness. And so you might say, well, who cares about this anthropology? Why does it matter? Why is this such an important way to start our analysis of uh, this question that the Pharisees raised with Jesus? Well, as we said before, if we don't understand who and what the human person is, that has great implications for ethics, for sexual morals, and for all sorts of other moral and ethical dilemmas. So if, if we think we are just a bunch of cells, of atoms and molecules, then when it comes to an issue such as abortion, perhaps we might not think that's such a big deal. If we appreciate that we're made in the image and likeness of God and are completely irreplaceable, then that sheds an entirely new light on the question of abortion. And we will no doubt come to the conclusion that abortion is never permissible. So this is why these issues about who and what the human person is are so important and it's so critical that we get that anthropology right. So he talks about the metaphysics. We touched on this last week, you know, metaphysics being, um, he spoke about the powerful metaphysical content of Genesis 1. And that in itself is quite a mouthful. So what does he mean there? 
So metaphysics is the branch of philosophy dealing with being, with existence, with the nature of reality. So when he's talking about a powerful metaphysical content in relation to the creation of man, he's saying to us that here we have these foundational principles of the human person, which are absolutely key if we're then able to understand what is good for the human person and will facilitate flourishing versus what is harmful for the human person and will inflict harm on us. So the metaphysical content that we can deduce from Genesis 1 is that we are creatures made in the image and likeness of God. If that's true, then it's good that we exist. To exist is good. Mm -hmm. But only human beings have the rational capacity to accept and respond to the blessing that God gives us in that first chapter of Genesis. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Animals cannot receive a blessing in the way that humans can. They cannot engage with that concept. They cannot respond to that concept. Only a rational human person can respond. And procreation is good because it says, be fruitful and multiply. That's God's first command to the human person, be fruitful and multiply. And not only that, but at the end of that passage in Genesis 1, creation is not only described as good, but after the creation of man and woman, it's described as very good. So procreation is good. So that's some of the metaphysical content that we can deduce from Genesis 1, which then moves us on to Genesis 2, which is the topic for today, the general audience number three, where John Paul II turns his attention to Genesis 2. And this is where we see a different version of the creation story. And just to remind everyone, Father, I'll just read out this passage. It says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this one now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, what's significant in this passage, although there's lots of significant things here, the one that John Paul II picks up on at this moment in time is that Adam and his wife were naked and felt no shame. And that's important because that's highlighting to us the fact that they were naked and felt no shame, that there was a state of original innocence at this moment in time, original purity, that man and woman, prior to original sin, were able to look upon one another with an innocence and a purity and no sense of shame. So often when we read Genesis, we read Genesis 1, creation, Genesis 2, creation, Genesis 3, oh, whoops, original sin, and everything's gone pear-shaped. What we don't tend to think about is what happened between creation and original sin. And that's the other beginning that John Paul II is directing us back to. And it's the other beginning that Jesus is reminding the Pharisees of. If you want to know about marriage and divorce, man and woman, think about the time before original sin, when man and woman were created with their original integrated being, with all their passions in the right order within themselves, with their relationship with one another, 
and with God and with creation. So this beginning is not just the beginning as in creation. John Paul II and Jesus are telling us this beginning is what it was like prior to that state of original sin, the time of original innocence and original purity. And he uses the Latin phrase there. He uses um, status natura integre, for the moment when we were integrated with all our passions and emotions, versus the status natura lapse, where we've lapsed, where we've fallen into original sin. And this is what you know St. Paul refers to, isn't it, when he says, why is it that I do the things that I hate? That's the nature that we're all living with now. You know, we struggle with things and temptations and, and we do things and we know we shouldn't, but we do them anyway. So that's the state that we're all living in now. And that's this boundary experience between original integration, if you like, when everything was in right order, versus this original now disintegration, where we're always struggling to get ourselves back into right order. So that's the beginning that Jesus is directing the Pharisees to. And then moving on into general audience four, what we needn't do is despair. All is not lost. We know um, that in response to the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't just saying, well, that's how it should have been in the beginning and you've messed up, full stop. Jesus is into, um, into dialogue with the Pharisees is showing us that there is a way back, um, that we can try and recapture some of that original innocence that we have lost. And he says um, that our original historical state of sin plunges its roots deeply into our theological prehistory. In other words, although we've fallen into original sin, the fact that we were originally made in the image and likeness of God remains deep within our being. And we know that we have that continuity with that state of being. Um, and that through the redemption, Jesus will enable us and help us to try and retrace our steps and become more fully integrated beings, which is the journey that we're all on. So. That's my sort of rough highlights of what's come out of um, audience three and four, Father. Do you want to add anything into that? Well, that's great, uh, Christine. Gosh, that's a you know a, a wonderful uh, summary. I mean, I think yeah, I think you've covered um, the main points, you know, really comprehensively, uh, really clearly. And it's, yeah, it's as you say, you know, I think John Paul II is is framing um, his work, you know, this first part um, of his, uh, his catechesis, you know, this triptych, this famous triptych. So as you say, we're looking at the original state um, and you know, the transition uh, to this historical situation that, that the Pharisees find themselves in, that we all find ourselves in. Um, and it's not as if, you know, as you said, that Jesus is leaving us in this hopeless situation. You know, he's saying, well, this was God's original pristine plan. Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, this wonderful um, that phrase, the peace of the interior gaze. I think John Paul II uses, doesn't he, this nakedness without shame, uh, this idyllic scenario. Uh, and yet their disobedience, you know, they're falling away. The transition that John Paul II speaks about, this boundary experience to a, a different phase, 
of human existence that we're all suffering under. But Jesus doesn't leave us there, you know. And then John Paul II in in audience uh, four, he quotes, you know, from Romans eight twenty three. This uh, Paul is saying, "We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly." while we wait for the redemption of our bodies and so that redemption of our bodies is a summary if you like of everything that christ has done through his passion death and resurrection so it's a, a summary of that event and so jesus the message really is hope you know there was the before there's a now and yet there's this a promise uh, that he brings, you know, this redemption of our bodies. And it's our cooperation with that, with the grace of God and the sacraments of the church, you know, and that restoration, if you like, of what we had lost. So it's a beautiful, you know, uh, framing and I think introduction uh, that we're doing and John Paul II is doing. And maybe just to briefly add a couple of points, uh, Christina, we'll come to these as we know this this Slavic, you know, um, cylindrical almost style that JP2 has in, you know, going over topics and coming back to them at a later time. Just to say that uh, Adam and Eve in crossing this boundary experience reached up and grasped the fruit for themselves, wanting to be like God. And so that is really the beginning of this tension now in historical man between grasping for ourselves and receiving. And so they couldn't receive everything that God um, was going to give them and had given them. And so they're reaching up to grasp. And so Christ in his salvific act emptied himself. It's the opposite journey. You know, I think that's in Philippians Christ did not grasp uh, divinity, but emptied himself, taking the form of a, a servant. So is this beautiful restoration uh, that Christ brings to that first act of disobedience? And then finally, in, you know, in, in a way, a powerful message for today, you know, when Eve was being tempted by Satan, where was Adam, you know? Where was Adam? He was there in the garden, you know, and he was nodding off or, you know, in his kind of like man cave or something, you know, uh, on his PlayStation or, you know, playing snooker. And so there's a there's a powerful piece there, I think, for today's contemporary culture that, um, you know, the bride is being tempted or, you know, our spouses being tempted and men have this opportunity this responsibility as we'll see a special responsibility that john paul ii um gives to the man as a guardian of that union and so adam fell you know adam was um absent in that role of as guardian and so there's a a powerful i think reminder to our men in this culture men in the hierarchy of the church most especially but in the church in general you know to be um protectors and guardians you know as this uh the bride is being ravaged by satan so some powerful you know truths and messages that we'll come back to 
time and again as, as we advance through the, the various audiences. Yes, and isn't it amazing that these texts were written such a long time ago, and yet everything that's contained within is totally relevant to the way we are living today, yeah. in terms of us all being guilty of grasping things for ourselves. Um, as you say, this notion of men being missing in action, and where was Adam? And, you know, he was uh, absent from his duty, wasn't he? And and there are so many distractions and difficulties for men and women today. And I think as we unfold these um, audiences, as we go along, we're going to see more and more how relevant they are. And this is why you and I are both so excited about it, because it is so relevant to the way we live our lives, whether yeah. married, single, celibate, religious, whatever vocation we have in life, it's relevant to all of us, isn't it? Yeah. That's it, Christine. I just think, you know, as we've discussed many times, it's just um, a, a profound teaching. I think it's one of the key antidotes, you know, to this cultural crisis, this crisis in the human person, this crisis in the direction of us all. You know, who are we? Who am I? You know, what is my mission? Where am I going? All those fundamental questions, I think, are are um, are touched on and presented here, and so it's um, it really is a um, a very profound contribution, I think, a, a fundamental contribution for our times. And the Holy Spirit always raises, you know, the greater saints and their teachings in these times of darkness and challenge for the church. So uh, let's hope we can all, you know, join together in proclaiming with boldness this uh, this beautiful um, and profound teaching. Yes, absolutely. Well, Father, that's uh, 21 minutes, so perhaps we should... I know that's gone so quickly, hasn't it? It's gone so quickly, Christine. It always does. It's great. Once we start going, you know, it's just wow. Gone. <laughs> well, so I'm excited because Audience 5 is going to take us into the start of the original experiences, yeah. original solitude. Yeah. So these are some of my favourite passages in theology wow. of the body so i'm really excited and we're going to start moving yeah. into those and what we're going to unpack together yeah so um just to say thank you to, to anyone who's been listening and watching do please like share and subscribe whether on youtube or apple podcast or on spotify because it all helps um and again if you want to contact us there is a website there's an email address it's tob network um, at gmail.com. Oh, sorry, TOB Network UK, UK. at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great, Christine. God bless you and thank you. And we'll uh, see you soon. Please tune in for the next, next exciting time. installment of TOB <laughs> on fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Father. God, God bless, bless everyone.